Episode 288, The Big Three PBMs Spinning Up GPOs. What? Today I speak with Mike Schneider from Avalier. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Disclaimer before we get started here. This show is probably a 300 level class in pharmaceutical slash PBM relations. If you are tuning in for the first time and you aren't pretty familiar with like the role of PBMs, I would go back and listen to say episode 241 with Vinay Patel or episode 161 with Tim Thomas from Crystal Clear RX. Okay, now that that's out of the way, if you're still with me, this episode is like a ride on a roller coaster. I talk with Mike Schneider, who's a principal over at Avalier Health, and we get into, you know, kind of deeply the what and the why behind the big three traditional PBMs deciding that now might be a fantastic time to set up GPOs. PBMs are pharmacy benefit managers. There's three huge ones. GPO stands for Group Purchasing Organization. Traditionally, these GPOs have purchased drugs and supplies for like hospitals and other providers at, according to their marketing materials, volume discounts. So the unfolding story here in a nutshell is that ESI Express Script set up a GPO called Ascent in Switzerland. Optum has had an Ireland operation going in full swing for a while, and now we have CVS Caremark setting up a GPO called Zinc. These GPOs are not like normal GPOs working with hospitals, but instead, these GPOs are the entity which is now going to negotiate with pharma companies. You know, in the past, it was the PBM that was negotiating with the pharma company to get rebates. Now it's this GPO entity. But wait, you may say, wasn't there an executive order the other day requiring PBMs to, for example, pass through all of the rebates that they're collecting to patients? Indeed, there was. And that rule doesn't say anything about GPOs having to do the same, especially GPOs in, let's just say, Switzerland. It's a tangled web we weave. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Mike Schneider, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thank you, Stacey. It's a pleasure to be here. PBMs and their foray into GPOs, and I'm already confused. <laughs> so, I think everybody's confused, Stacey. <laughs> in the past, it's been this gigantic PBM that has maybe 100 million lives. I mean, so we're talking huge numbers here. And they go to a pharma company and they say to the pharma company, you know, I see your list price. You need to give me this many points in rebates, right? Like that's how it used to work. How does the GPO factor in? Like why, you know, they already have 100 million lives. What what does the GPO add? Yeah, It's a great question, Stacey. And why don't we kind of like take a look at Ascent, you know, first and foremost, you know, Ascent, which is kind of the Cigna Express Scripts GPO based in Switzerland, has three big clients right now, right, from a better all individual PBM. So they have Express Scripts, the PBM that's owned by Cigna, you know, as a client. And then they have Prime's PBM, which Prime is a, you know, a large pharmacy benefit manager that did a lot of work for a lot of the Blue Cross Blue Shield organizations across the United States. And they also have, you know, the the Kroger prescription plans, you know, the grocery store Kroger kind of has their own PBM, which is called Kroger prescription plans. So what Ascent is able to do is kind of take the leverage of those three entities together, which is well over 100 million lives, 
and use that to negotiate with pharmaceutical manufacturers for those rebate discounts. And how Express Scripts or how Prime or how Kroger prescription plans use those rebates from a formulary perspective is more up to them, right? So a set would negotiate kind of high-level deals with a pharmaceutical manufacturer for formulary access, you know, be it kind of restricted from a, you know, one or two in a certain class on formulary, things like that, stuff that BBMs have done for a long time to drive these rebates from manufacturers. But what a cent can do is negotiate even more lives and do it overseas, which gives them some advantages. But then Express and Prime and Kroger can kind of do their own thing with what a cent is contracting for them. So it throws another entity into the whole kind of pharmaceutical chain, drug distribution system. It allows, you know, the GPO part a set to do some things differently than what the PBMs themselves have done. Before we get into the what they can do differently than traditionally PBMs have done, because I definitely want to ask you that question. But before we go there, we just threw another middleman into the pool of middlemen. And obviously, you know, if I'm thinking about this from Prime's perspective, I'm now going to share points with this other entity, right? Like I'm going to split my rebate booty with somebody else. So clearly I must think that other entity is going to drive even more revenue in my direction that I'm willing, you know, like if it's a zero sum game, why would I give up? money. So like it obviously has to be a positive sum game, i.e. pharma is going to give a cent even more dollars than, you know, Prime could have gotten by itself. And therefore a share of that can go to a cent and Prime still, that's just one example, you know, and Prime still makes out ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely correct, Stacey. Yeah. I mean, some of Prime's issues they had in competing directly with Express Scripts or competing with CVS Caremark or OptumRx for their same clients was that Prime, with the number of lies even that they had from a PBM perspective, had trouble driving those rebates and competing directly with Express themselves. So you team up together and both go to a cent. You can still maintain some level of independence from a formulary and from how you're going to manage your own clients from a PBM individually. But you're giving a cent your combined power with that of Express Scripts and that of Kroger to negotiate even better deals with the pharmaceutical manufacturers. So the flip side of that, though, is that you're throwing another middleman in. A cent's not going to be doing this for free. And the question mark is going to be how much additional value is the cent the GPO taking from pharmaceutical manufacturers to be in existence? Because as we know, in all aspects of the drug supply chain, every kind of step needs to take their own little piece and it kind of drives up the cost of drugs overall for our healthcare system. Well, I'm a little bit less concerned about the pharmaceutical company, to be frank, and a little bit more concerned about the patient. Because if now you've got, or the employer, you know, like, or the government, because, you know, if you've got now somebody taking even more dollars out of that middle, you know, if the whole point of rebates is that they're supposed to go, you know, ultimately trickle down to the patient, and now you've got even more people in the middle with their hands out, then that's even less likely to happen than it is now. It's also probably one of the biggest reasons why these GPOs were formed overseas. You know, there's been a lot of talk about removing some of the safe harbors around rebates setting up in Switzerland on its own kind of lets them avoid the rebate reform type rules in the United States. And that's also probably the biggest reason why you see Ascent 
only negotiating the the commercial business, the non-governmental business for its clients. As people become, as plans, especially employers, the government becomes more and more aware of the fact that, you know, the PBMs are skimming off the top of these rebates. It's becoming harder and harder for a PBM to take the share of the rebates that potentially they're used to. So them saying, oh, well, we'll just open up a GPO in Switzerland that actually negotiates, you know, with the pharma company. There's nothing to say that the GPO, I mean, there's a PBM regulations and everybody's got eyes on the PBM, but like nobody's watching what happens to this PBM in Switzerland. And because they're in Switzerland, you can't like audit it like you could if it was subject to the U.S. statutes. That's correct, Stacey. And even in the U.S., there's really been no reform proposed on GPOs themselves, right? So even kind of going back to, to Zinc, you know, CVS Caremark's GPO, there's always the possibility that legislation or regulation comes for GPOs down the road. But the GPOs that have, that have existed for a number of years kind of do things differently. They're purchasing products from manufacturers, you know, for use either in hospitals or large physician organizations, things like that. So GPO regulation would have an impact kind of broader beyond what Cigna and Express and CVS and what OptumRx is doing. So there's probably less of a chance that some type of GPO regulation, uh, you know, pops up, you know, in relation to that. So even just making these organization, G- organizations GPOs themselves has potential to kind of shield them from some of the rebate reform rules that are, you know, potentially coming down the line. You know, no matter kind of who wins in the presidential election in November, there's a lot of pressure for drug pricing reform from, you know, both sides of the aisle in Washington, D.C. Effectively, I think what this is all adding up to is, you know, PBMs open up GPOs as a way that they can preserve their share of the rebates that they and their shareholders have grown accustomed to. <laughs> like, ultimately, that's what this all adds up to. So, yeah, it is kind of a way for them not only to kind of switch what those admin fees are, but also to ask for some different types of fees like data or compliance related fees that. PBMs don't necessarily ask for right now, but GPOs, you know, historically have kind of delved into different areas besides the admin fees themselves. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that you br- you bring up the admin fees in this in this context because one of the loopholes that I have certainly heard relative to PBMs is that, you know, it's like the old bait and switch. No, no, it's not a rebate. It's a yeah, it's an admin fee. You need to pay us for <laughs> Uh, administrating claims. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, so they're now paying for a service as opposed to calling it a rebate. But you're saying there's some limits to that. Correct. From the PBM perspective, yes. There's always a lot of questions around what some of the safe harbor rules mean in regards to PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers like Express Scripts and CVS Caremark, what they're allowed to take from pharmaceutical manufacturers in the eyes of these safe harbors. So and there's always historically in my position on the PBM side, it was always one of the areas where the PBM's attorneys and the pharmaceutical manufacturers attorneys would have to kind of agree on what the definition of those safe harbors were between the two of them. Because there's always a question mark of what's protected under these safe harbors and what technically is a kickback. So when you shift to the GPO model, those safe harbors completely change, right? And, and kind of knowing what's going on with the scent and now with zinc coming into existence, you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers are, you know, worried about this additional pressure coming from these even larger organizations, but also kind of wondering what the true safe harbors are going to be 
you know, when it comes to these organizations as GPOs, and then they're overseas, which kind of means you're dealing with some international law and Swiss law or Irish law, and then whatever may happen with zinc, which, you know, I've had some conversations with some folks in and zinc is probably the least understood of, you know, all of these GPOs right now as it's starting up. Let's try to figure out the net impact of of what we're just talking about on the commercial side. As you just mentioned that this is relevant to the commercial side, not necessarily the government side. And I want to go onto the government side in a sec. But obviously, it's like the lesser of evils here, right? Like nobody's a saint and nobody's a devil. Everybody's like somewhere in the messy middle. So you've got pharma companies that are charging a whole lot for their meds. You know, the list prices, you can see them going up, right? Like even in the middle of the pandemic, how much did pharma raise their prices? It's, you know, not insignificant. On the other side, you know, you've got PBMs and they're tasked to have the leverage to shake down pharma for a lower price. At the end of the day, do you feel like these entities, these middlemen entities like need the extra leverage and therefore a cent is going and, you know, and the other ones sink? that they're actually going to be able to drive lower prices that are actually realized by patients and plans? Or do you think that at the end of the day, they're going to shake down pharma and keep the money? You know, it's a great question, Stacey. And this has been argued for probably since Medicare Part D came around back in 2006, right? Medicare Part D plans were not subject to, to Medicaid best price. So it truly let the PBMs kind of go out and, and negotiate really increased rebates with the pharmaceutical manufacturers. And since then, you've had the PBMs and you've had the pharmaceutical manufacturers pointing the finger at each other saying, well, it's your fault that drug prices are so high. It's no your fault that drug prices are so high. You know, pharmaceutical manufacturers say, I have to pay increasingly higher and higher rebates to these PBMs. And then when I, in order to keep my kind of profits and my innovation and things like that going as a pharmaceutical manufacturer, what I do for my business, I have to charge higher and higher prices for drugs and increase the prices of drugs as times go on. And the PBMs respond by saying, well, if if we weren't here to kind of offset this pricing, it, it could potentially be even worse. You know, we're at least here negotiating, you know, rebates to kind of lower the cost of these drugs for our clients, the health plans and the employers, so that those rebates can be used to buy down the cost of these expensive drugs that pharmaceutical manufacturers are putting into the marketplace and charging, right? So there's there's been a lot of finger pointing between the two. So the big PBMs are competing against each other, obviously, for employer or plan clients. Does that give them an incentive to at least present the illusion that they're securing better rebates for clients? I mean, like, how are these guys competing against each other? Why would I as an employer pick one over the other? When it comes down to it, the PBM market is very competitive, especially when you look at how the, those big three compete with each other, CVS Care Market, Cigna, and OptumRx, right? They really compete with each other when they're going to maintain or to acquire clients, you know, amongst the three of them with what's called rebate guarantees, right? And those are the rebate dollars that they're guaranteeing to a client, who, like a health plan or to an employer, if that employer or health plan is using the PBM to manage their pharmacy benefit. You've got some of the smaller PBMs, including Prime before they went to Express, you know, where they just couldn't compete with the rebates that were being paid by manufacturers to these big entities because of the ability that they had from the number of lives that they had. So what's the net net here? Drug prices go up for employers and patients or drug prices go down now after, you know, we have GPOs on the scene? 
you know, kind of getting back to it, it's interesting with the rise of these GPOs that the finger pointing is going to get even more and more because now you have an even bigger entity in Ascent or Zinc or OptumRx and taking another kind of round of administrative fees or data fees and things like that. And who gets hurt down the line, right? Are the employers or the healthcare plans who are the clients of these PBMs and the PBMs that are clients of these GPOs? Are those guys kind of at the end who are actually paying for these drugs really getting a benefit from all this rebating and everything going on? But anytime you throw a middleman into any business, it it typically does nothing but raise prices. And pharmaceutical manufacturers are, you know, having to pay new fees to these GPOs in addition to, you know, the fees that they always kind of had to pay to the PBMs. And the manufacturers are more than likely going to have to respond by finding ways to raise their own prices or to you know, cut some of their expenses internally or to, you know, bring drugs to to the market at higher prices than they would have if these large, you know, GPOs and PBMs didn't exist. There's a third way here that's getting increasing attention. You know, for example, there's Capital Rx that Walmart just hired right now, or you've got, there's a company called Dexy. You know, there's a number of transparent clearinghouse, they go by a bunch of different names, PBMs, that they tell the employer how much the drug is going to cost and they charge a transaction fee. It's like you can't, it's the same thing with like hospital prices, right? You can't tell, like you can't shop on discounts. You have to shop on what the absolute price is. And these other entities, it's been, you know, validated. I saw something coming out of the Validation Institute that if you you can save 30% off your drug spend, 30% by just not dealing with any of that. I don't know how that exactly works relative to like how they're getting those prices without 100 million patients to shake the trees with. But at the end of the day, like that's a pretty stark savings. It is, isn't it? And we'll see like how some of these other entities that exist outside of the big three PBMs, even some of the other, you know, PBMs that that are smaller, kind of how they're going to shift their business to to kind of overcome what's going on. You also see, you know, kind of the rise of Amazon through PillPack and what are they going to do? So I think part of what Cigna and what Express Scripts and CVS are kind of looking at is they've really got to push on this model that they've kind of brought to the market because that's how the three biggies compete, right? And I think you're right, Stacey. The true question is going to be who's going to be able to rise up and do things different and truly take patience and truly take, especially some of those smaller employers, self-insured employers and smaller healthcare plans that don't necessarily get the biggest benefit from the big three, who's gonna help them out and who's gonna change this market? You know, Is it gonna be along the lines of truly going to a value-based proposition for drugs? And I think we're seeing some of this potentially changing with some of the rules that are coming from uh, CMS right now about allowing manufacturers to have more than one Medicaid best price as long as they're involved with some type of value-based contracting. And let's face it, some of the more expensive products, the cell and gene therapies and the rare disease therapies that manufacturers are coming to the market with, they're more than likely not providing straight rebates on those drugs. Because remember, GPOs and PBMs are negotiating for formulary access. And for the most part, the clinical sides of these PBMs and these health plans are going to require a lot of these products to be on formulary because they are a pretty breakthrough from a clinical standpoint. And if they're required to be on formulary, a manufacturer is not going to go out of their way to pay rebates into this GPO PBM system, right? So it could be just with how pharma is shifting their R&D pipeline to these more expensive, more narrowly targeted drugs that the 
the big GPO PBM systems can't handle as well as somebody who's smaller and can be more nimble and can maybe work with manufacturers to do value-based contracting or to do some more point of sale or more kind of patient-oriented type contracting and providing you know, of these drugs. I think you're seeing some of the specialty pharmacies themselves leading the way on this end too. There's definitely a lot of moving parts and it's going to be really interesting to see how this all shakes out. And if enough employers go to the more transparent models of PBMs, then, you know, again, that changes the playing field because, you know, the big three operate in very opaque environment. Like everything they do is opaque. You layer on this GPO business, it is even more opaque they're working for their shareholders as as much as their customers. So they have every reason to, you know, try to make the system as complex as possible and obscure as much as as possible. I mean, that's just that's the nature of their business. That's I mean, I'm not stating anything that I don't think is is pretty common knowledge, right? No, I agree with you, Stacy. And these GPOs are potentially making things even less transparent, you know. The executives at Ascent talk about how transparent that business is between Ascent and their clients, you know, and by their clients are meaning Express Scripts and Prime and Kroger. But it's not very transparent to the rest of us, right? And the PBM world as a whole is not very transparent, especially when you look at the contracts between PBMs and the pharmaceutical manufacturers and the contracts between the PBMs and their clients, right? There's a lot of push for additional transparency, not as much from the federal level right now, but very much on the individual state level where states are trying to understand, you know, kind of where is the money flowing from a pharmaceutical manufacturer to, you know, the end user being the patient or even being a healthcare plan or an employer and who's taking what in between and what's happening because that's the area of this business where there's not a lot of transparency and there's not a lot of information getting out. You know, you even see a lot of kind of uh, state attorney generals suing PBMs for different things, you know, even pharmacy networks, you know, some antitrust type things when it comes to really narrowing pharmacy networks and pushing out some of the smaller pharmacies. So there's a lot of scrutiny on the pharmacy benefit manager business right now. But, you know, when it comes to it, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, can't we just make PBMs go away? And I always say, well, you know what? The pharmacy benefit manager has a purpose and it's very much acting as the claim adjudicator. They adjudicate a claim at, you know, some of the many, you know, 75,000 plus pharmacies around the United States. And they let the pharmacist know at point of sale how much they need to charge their the patient. And then they're able to connect the PBMs will pay the pharmacies. And then there's a way to connect the healthcare plans to the pharmacies. So that claim gets paid for. That aspect is probably never going to go away. The transparency and some of the things that we're going to see the stress on the PBMs are going to be in how they're negotiating this rebates or how they're negotiating these discounts with their GPOs. And how is that money flowing from the pharmaceutical manufacturers to the end user being the patients themselves? Interesting. Now, you you said something also that's really important that I just want to circle back to, and that is this whole GPO, you know, taking the rebate dollars business is only being applied to the commercial side. It's not being applied to the government plans, you know, the public plans. And I'm assuming it's because this is illegal uh, uh, <laughs> for a public plan, but correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, I'm not a lawyer, right? And if not illegal, it's at least shady or immoral when it comes down to it. Because if these GPOs were truly, you know, great entities and good for our healthcare system in the United States, then why are they being set up overseas? 
Or why is the government business not being included, included as these GPOs are negotiating? You know, a lot of it, I think, is to avoid, you know, some of the GPO, some of the, sorry, not the PBM safe harbor kind of regulations or rules that could come down the pipe that could affect commercial payers. It allows the, these entities to collect these GPO admin fees, which are probably more protected under some of the safe harbor rules, even within the United States. And then let's face it, probably one of the bigger reasons why you set these up overseas is to have some lower corporate taxation rates and be able to kind of work underneath Swiss tax law or be able to work underneath Irish tax law in the case of OptumRx to kind of lower the tax, but what you have to pay in taxes for that GPO and potentially pass on some of that tax savings to the clients of the GPO themselves. Yeah. I mean, you wonder if it's shady on the government side, why some employers aren't wondering why it's equally shady. You know what I mean? Like, how's it shady in one with one customer, but not with another? <laughs> I mean, Stacy, one of the things I also point out is one of the biggest beneficiaries of this whole rebate game is the government and is CMS, right? Because CMS themselves gets a lot of rebates as these PBMs are negotiating on Medicare Part D plans themselves, you know, and CV CMS is responsible for, you know, not only a lot of the drug spend as members go into catastrophic on the Part D side of things, but CMS pays about 75% of every member's premium, right? So if these PBMs on the government side, on the Medicare side, are using the rebate dollars to keep premiums low, you know, technically that means that CMS is paying less for the Medicare Part D system. And you see a lot of CBO estimates and a lot of kind of independent organizations say that Medicare Part D has been pretty successful where costs are coming in lower. But the question is, is who's paying those costs? You know, premiums are lower for everybody, but in general, CMS is a pretty big beneficiary of how this high cost, high rebate system works. So it'll be interesting to see how CMS responds over time too. Yeah, and actually early in 2019, I did a podcast with your colleague, Chris Sloan, and we talked all about that Medicare Part D. So if you are interested in digging into the nitty gritty, that would go back and listen to that show. All right, so let's take a quick left turn here, but I also want to make a point. There was a GAO audit of PBM rebates that found, it's, this is often cited, that 99% of these rebates, you know, the rebates that are collected from pharma by PBMs were passed on to plan sponsors. The thing is, though, is that the GAO did not conduct an in-depth review of whether those rebate dollars were correct. Like, you know, nobody went in and audited how many dollars were taken in from pharma and then audited how many dollars left the PBM and made it to plan sponsors. I read something written by the Birchfield Group, where they did their own audits and found that rebate amounts were not accurately invoiced and paid to party sponsors in like 60% of their engagements. So, you know, maybe there's a silver lining here. You had mentioned earlier that a barrier has been lifted for pharma and Medicare and commercial plans to engage in value-based contracting. So I don't really want to get into the nitty gritty of what that may mean or not mean since we're super early in the game here. But what do you think you know, do you feel like this is a way to actually, a better way to actually move money from pharma to employers and plan sponsors if we're gonna continue with this model of rebating at some level? Yeah, Stacey, it'll be interesting to see how the industry plays that out, right? Because, you know, the biggest problem for patients of these very expensive products is that a lot of these drugs are in a co-insurance tier, no matter kind of where they are, if they're Medicare or on the commercial side. So the patient themselves could be paying higher out of pocket for these drugs. And I think it becomes very much, 
you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers, you're saying that there's a lot of data to support these drugs having high prices. Put your money where your mouth is, right? And if you bring a curative therapy from a cell and gene standpoint and you want to charge $800,000 for it, that's great. Show me that I'm going to save $800,000 because you're curing this type of cancer. You're, you're helping this disease state enough. So I think it's great for our healthcare system in general and probably even better for patients if this helps to bring some of their drug costs down from an out-of-pocket standpoint. But it's going to put a lot of onus on the manufacturers to do the research and work with healthcare plans and show that these drugs have the medical cost offsets or the additional value that they're saying that they do that are built into their prices. So this could potentially give pharma the opportunity to actually focus on patient outcomes, helping providers truly select the right and appropriate patients for their products, and then supporting providers and patients through that care journey, you know, it it could be super cool if it gives those pharma teams who truly and sincerely support their customers and patients an edge. That would be a good thing. So Mike, where can people learn a little bit more about your work at Avalier if they are interested in learning more? Sure. Thank you, Stacey. Yeah, you can go to our website, avalier.com, and kind of see what Avalier as a firm is doing. We very much keep up to date on a lot of things related to policy implications, uh, market access. Feel free to reach out to me through LinkedIn or through Avalier. You can see my smiling face on Avalier's website if you search for my name there. Mike Schneider, thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today. You're welcome, Stacey. It was a pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.